Aloha, and welcome to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel Kaneohe. Hope Chapel exists to grow ordinary people into faithful, productive followers of Jesus Christ, equipping them through Bible teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Today, our guest speaker is back with part two of his message entitled, What We Have in Common. And now, let's join Carl Moore. We're talking about the family of God and what it is that we have in common and what makes up a good family and why we need each other. So let's start off in Ephesians 4 with verse 4. And it says three important things here. We are all one body. We have the same spirit. And we have all been called to the same glorious future. Okay, so one body, one spirit, and one glorious future. Those three things. The body, first of all, he's talking about is the whole body of believers worldwide. Everyone that calls himself a Christian. Everyone that is now in the family of God because now they can say, God is my father. So we have the same body. And the second thing is we all have the same spirit. And what this tells me is that the same spirit that that allowed Jesus to turn water into wine or to walk on the water or to be risen from the dead or to do all the miracles that he did is the same exact Holy Spirit that was in all the apostles, Peter and John, that could heal people, is the same Holy Spirit that is in someone that you see who is, who is speaking in tongues. It's the same Holy Spirit that you see someone else prays over someone and they're healed, or someone else has words of wisdom or, or visions for someone else. That same Spirit is the same in all of us. And you know what that means is no one should say, oh, that guy over there is more spiritual than me. Or none of us should say, I'm more spiritual than you. Because how can anybody be more spiritual if the Bible says we have the same spirit? How can anybody say, you know what, I don't, I don't mess around with that stuff. I don't get it because I'm not spiritual enough. That's for the people that, those leaders and pastors and stuff, that's for them to practice. God's going, you know what, the same spirit is available to everyone. Some of us have learned to tap into it a little bit better because we're not scared, and by faith we're stepping out and going, God, you told me to pray, so I'm just going to pray and ask for healing. And stuff starts to happen, because we're obeying what God said is that same spirit that's available to do all the miracles you read of in the Bible, he's still around, he's still available, he still lives in every single one of us. So no, no one in this room can say, oh, those guys over there, they're more spiritual than me. I'm just, I don't operate that way, so that's just all God's given me. Nope, God has given you the full ability to have any of that power of the Holy Spirit, it's up to us to start seeking that, to start asking for it, to start experimenting, because God will meet us. But if we just sit back, then all of that, that same spirit that's sitting there is just being wasted. And other people get to play with it, and other people get to use the spirit to bless other people, and he's doing his thing through them. And meanwhile, we're just keeping him bottled up and saying, oh, no, no, I don't want to use it. But the same spirit is available to every one of us. And then it says that we all have the same glorious future. As Christians, as family members, we need to remember that we have the same glorious future. When we became Christians, we came into the family, our future changed. See, if we would have kept on living life the way that we thought we were meant to live our lives, there's not that much to look forward to, yeah? It's like, I could make some money. Maybe I'll marry someone cool. Maybe I have a lot of good friends. That's, that's pretty good. But well, that's the best shot that we got going for us. When Jesus came into our life, it's suddenly the creator of the universe forgave you of all of your sins, and he's going to begin to bless you. 
He's now your personal Lord and Savior. That means he knows you and he loves you and he cares for you and he's going to walk with you through all those hard times. And he's going to bless you in all your needs here on this earth. Sometimes you're still going to go through the hard times, but now you have a future that says, I go through hard times now with God by my side, not by myself anymore. So we have this awesome, glorious future here on earth, but we also have a glorious future in heaven that we don't have to to face the fact that when I die, what's going to happen? I'm going to go to hell, a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, where you're in agony forever, and you're agonizing over the fact that if I would have only turned to God, I wouldn't end up where I am today, in hell. And we don't have to even worry about that. We don't really have a fear of death. But death itself means that, wow, my life is millions of times better now. I get to see God face to face. And people will miss me. And, you know, there's, there's people lately in my life in, in circles that I run in that have passed away. And all of them have been believers. And it's neat to see the family who are they're going through the grieving process, but they're going, you know, we're going to see them again. It's really hard, but we know where they're at. We know, that, we know that our glorious future says that as Christians being a member of this family, the family of God, all heaven is, all death really means to us is family reunion. Yeah? Time to party. Oh, we see everybody again. That we get to, together with all the Christians, all the family, all throughout history. Think about that. All the guys you read about in the Bible, you're going to get to meet one day. It's going to be family reunion. Our, our father's going to take us all home. And, you know, some of these luau's last for days. Can you imagine heaven is going to be eternity of us just like, Oh, there's the Apostle Paul. I've been meaning to talk to him for like the past two million years and I had to wait in line. And there he is, you know. But time is no concept and it's just a family getting back together again. And, and that's our future, that we don't, we don't worry about death. And there's loved ones that we've all lost in our lives. But knowing that if they're in the family of God, yeah, we get to see him. We get to catch up on old times. We can fill him in on all that's been happening while they've been up there rejoicing with God and, you know, hanging out and having a good time. So we have a glorious future. And that as family members, we need to remind each other when tough, tough times come for some of us, that the rest of us as family members come and say, yeah, but look, look what you had to look forward to. Remember, God has promised you a future to give you hope, to give you prosperity in life, that he's not going to harm you. You're going through a tough time right now, but because of God and the same future that we all share, he's promised you that he's going to take care of you all the rest of your life. Remember that. And that as brothers and sisters, we need to be reminding the rest of the family, hey, there's something good to come. Don't worry. We all have this in common. He promised it to me as much as he promised it to you. Let's go to the next verse in um, verse 5. It says, there's only one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. The next three things. The word Lord here, it's not talking about God. It's not talking about... The word Lord doesn't transfer to God. It really means there's only one master. There's only one ruler. There's only one head of this family, of this church, and that's Jesus Christ. And so it's not in the terms of there's only one God right here. That's, he's going to talk about that later. He's talking about there's only one master. There's only one ruler. There's only one person that, that we should go around following and keeping our eyes focused on. And what that tells me is that sometimes I get caught up maybe some of you guys do too, in idolizing other Christians. And you don't really mean it as idolizing, but maybe there's someone that's been a strong person in your life that's been your mentor or your discipler. And you start to focus on that person and wanting to be so much like that person 
that you kind of start to get your eyes off of who that person represents in Christ. See, there's only one ruler, and we sometimes start to think, oh, this guy's so cool. I wish I could speak like that. I wish I could pray like them. Oh, they're so good. And, and Christ is reminding us here, hey, remember, I'm the boss. Keep your eyes on me. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Not just follow me because I'm a good guy. Follow me only as I'm following Christ. That Christ is the head. He's the ruler. And to watch out for that. Even watch out for it in, in our churches as we idolize different ministry leaders. Oh, my mini church pastor is the best mini church pastor. Oh, I just want to be like them. And they're probably thinking, you know, my job is to train you so that you look like Christ, so that you think like Christ, but you get kind of hung up sometimes. Or, oh, my pastor, I love my pastor. If my pastor wasn't here, I would just stop being a Christian because, oh, they just, they, they do everything for me. And God's going, hey, something's wrong. Remember that they're just a messenger. The message they carry is from one that's above them, and that's Jesus Christ. So we've got to be careful and not idolizing people and not lifting up people and getting them in the way of the authority that, that Christ, you're the only one that I follow. See, there's, there's kids that have, that have said in youth ministry, like, oh, I want to be like you, and oh, Carl this, and, and like, oh, you know what, we need to hang out together, and, and my life's been going bad like that. Can you give a day up for me and just hang out with me? And I go, yeah, it's cool, but you know what? Why don't you go hang out with Jesus for a day? Why don't you just go read your word and pray? And then all the problems you're going through, you don't have to turn to me to give you advice to solve them. It's all right here in the book, you know? And if you've got questions after that, yeah, come talk to me. I'll explain it to you. But all you need to do is focus on Jesus Christ. Don't come to me looking for all the answers and all the advice because I'm human. I'm going to fail you. I might give you bad advice once in a while. But you know what? Jesus is always right, and he's always going to be there for you. He's the one Lord and Master. When I got married, part of my vows that I said to my wife was that I'm only human, and I'm going to let you down. I'm going to try to lead you in this relationship, and I'm going to be the head of the household and all this stuff God's appointed me to be, but I'm not going to be perfect at it. And it's both of us realizing that, that Jesus Christ is the center of our relationship together, that God has got to be the one Lord and Master. And we can love each other and follow each other and respect each other, but there's only one God and one ruler of this household, and that's Jesus Christ. And so it's just keeping that in mind. There's only one Lord. And then it goes on, and it says... Um, there's only one faith, and that's the idea of what we believe and what can be believed. One faith means whatever this book says, the Bible, the Word of God, that goes. That's all we need to know. There's nothing else that needs to be added to it. That The idea of, of coming to the Father only through Jesus Christ, His Son, that that's the faith that we believe in. That all the things it talks about in this this book here, that Jesus died for our sins, we believe in that, we get eternal life, He can bless us, all the concepts of Christianity, that that is the only one true way. And that's not to say like egotistical, oh, our religion is the only thing that everybody else's is wrong. It's not an our right, our, our, we're right and you're wrong kind of thing. It's the way that says, God said this, so God's way is the only way. You can choose to follow God's way, what the Bible says, or you can choose to go make up your own religion or take bits and pieces of other religions. You know, there's kids that come to me and they, they study up and they're checking out all the different religions. And they're going, oh, the Rastafarianism is pretty cool, yeah? You can have dreads and you can do this and that. And, and I'm going, yeah, it's cool, but you know what? It's not the one true way. Oh, but it's close because they have a lot of similarities. So maybe I could kind of pick up some of this and some of this. 
And, and what the Bible's telling us is, you know what? Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the light. That no man goes to the Father except through Him, through the Son. And that means that we can't say that we believe 80% of the Bible and then we have our own theories on a couple different things. It means that we can't also say, well, I believe all of the Bible, everything about it, but I also believe a little bit about this religion because it's kind of cool and it adds to the experience. God's saying, you know what? There's one way. There's one faith. And it's all in here. And if you believe some of it, then you have to believe all of it. You can't add anything to it and you can't take away anything from it. That this is the one true way. And we have to be willing to stand on that and to believe in that truth that there's only one faith, only one way of believing. And we just need to remind each other because sometimes we get sidetracked. Some of us read good, good books with good motives and they kind of lead us a little bit astray. And, and it goes a little bit contrary to something we've read in Scripture. But we think, but this guy makes a really good point, so I think I'm going to follow that way. We need to remind each other as brothers and sisters. Yeah, but remember, there's only one faith. This is the one. Don't get sidetracked. Um, and, and it talks about that there's only one baptism. And baptism is an area where I think that we kind of have sold it short in the past. I think um, I was talking to my dad and we were saying, you know what, even in our church, we've kind of watered baptism down. We've kind of made it something that's optional. And you read in the Bible, it's kind of like a two-step process to, to being in the family of God. The believing is something that you do with God and that takes place there in your heart. But it doesn't really, it, you can't really show it, prove it. The baptism is a thing that immediately follows that say, here's my faith, my belief, I'm putting directly into action now. I'm, I'm initi being initiated into the family of God. I'm saying that everybody can see that I'm taking an action step that's not just something that happened in the heart that we're not sure of, but you're putting your faith into action. And the reason that I have for that is, let me give you guys a couple of scriptures. Um, John 3.13 through 15, if you just want to write these down. John 3, 13 through 15, Matthew 28, 19, and Mark 16, 15. And this is what Jesus had to say about baptism. When John the Baptist was baptizing people and Jesus goes, hey, I'm, I'm here to get baptized by you. And he's like, you're the son of God. You don't need to get baptized. You should baptize me. And he goes, no, I have to get baptized. And this is what Jesus said in John 3, 15. Actually, he says, it must be done because we must do everything that is right. So then John baptized him. So here's Jesus saying, this is the right thing to do. I'm the son of God and I'm doing it. My example is for all Christians to follow me. Hey, even I got to do this because this is the right thing to do. In Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission says to go and make disciples of all nations and what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Mark 16, 15, and 16, he says... Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone everywhere. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. See, the Bible puts a lot more authority and weight on baptism than kind of the, the route that we've been taking. And my dad and I were talking and we're like, you know, we've got to push this thing more. Because what the Bible preaches is that as soon as, soon as someone confesses their belief in Jesus Christ, they just look for water. Okay, where's a river? Where's a pond? Let's go. Let's go do this thing. Because this signifies that you're part of the family of God. You're taking this step. See, when you get adopted into the family of God, because that's what, that's what God calls it, right? When we become Christians, we're adopted now into the family of God. But I had a friend of mine that when he, when he was young, his mom and dad split when he was a little kid. And 
we were like in elementary school and he would tell me, oh, my mom's dating this new guy. Oh, she got married to this new guy. Oh, I love this guy. His name was Jack or something before, but he's, I call him dad because he calls me son and it's super cool and, and it, it's just like we're real dad and son. I never really knew my real dad or whatever. And he was so excited on this new relationship that his mom married this guy that's now his dad. But I remember the day that this guy, Jack or whatever, actually went and signed the adoption papers for my friend. How my friend, just in elementary school, a little kid, remember like fifth grade, he was telling me, oh, I'm officially adopted now. He's officially my dad. I'm officially his son now. And how he, cool he thought the relationship was before, but the day that the adoption papers were signed and it was official, and he got to even change his last name, that's when he really felt like, oh, I can tell everybody, that's my dad. And there was just some, just this lit up kid in like fifth grade telling me, ah, it's so cool. He's really my dad now. And see, that's the thing that baptism is all about. Baptism is the thing where it's like signing the papers. Like, you know, you already have the relationship because you believe in God and you told him and stuff. But when you make that step that says, I'm doing it for real, I'm showing everybody, now it's official for everybody to see that I belong to Jesus. And that's what baptism really is. And so it says there's one baptism and you only need to do it once. There's the one case in point in the Bible where the thief on the cross next to Jesus, he said, oh, you know what, I believe in you. And Jesus said, well, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Well, obviously that guy didn't get baptized because he's nailed to a cross. But Jesus pretty much says, you know what, I trust you. I believe you. You're talking to me. You're talking to the man here. You're you're coming to paradise with me today. You're going to make it into the kingdom. And I believe that that time, that one, ex- that one experience, that one situation in the Bible, we tend to hang now our whole belief system on, well, you don't need to get baptized because that guy wasn't baptized. And yet all these other places in Scripture say, hey, when you believe, go get baptized right away. Go into all the world baptizing people. If you believe and are baptized, that it was significant. You know, in Muslim countries right now, that, they, that the Muslims won't persecute you or do anything to you if you say you're a Christian. But if they find out that you got baptized, the persecution starts. Because to them, they know that that's the thing that signed the deal. Signed, sealed, and delivered. You're officially an enemy of ours now because you're a Christian and not a Muslim. So now we're going to begin the persecution. See, in all other countries and stuff, in Japan, they don't say, oh, someone got saved. They say, oh, we had three people who were baptized this past month. And what that means is they finished the second step to just believing in the heart, but they made it real. And so if you haven't been baptized, but you've professed faith in, in Jesus and you're a Christian, I think the Bible's making it pretty clear. Is go get baptized. Go do it. Go, in it. go become part of the rest of the family by taking the step that says, this officially brings me into the family of God. Now, obviously, you can go to heaven without it, but I think this is a pretty major event. And so we need to keep pushing this baptism thing. But it says there's only one baptism. Um, It goes on and it says in verse 6, And there's only one God and Father who is over us all and in us all and living through us all. And the all here talking about, again, is the body of believers um, because you're not in that that family until you become a Christian. So you you can't call yourself family until you're in there. But it's saying he's he's in everything and and he's through us all and he's in us. And he's our Father. And the thing about us being able to call our our dad, our heavenly father, dad, or father, or, or Abba, father, you know what the Hebrew, Hebrews use for daddy, 
is that it was an, is an intimate and it's a personal thing. That we don't just say, oh God, yeah, you love us all equally and we're your kids here on earth. But it's a God that says, hey, you know what? I know you individually. I know you, Tori. I know all about you and I love you as you are. And Frank, you're different, but I know all about you and I love you too. And it's the kind of thing that, that me as a father, that I love all of my, my two kids individually and in their own special ways. That I don't just say, yeah, I love both of you guys. You're my kids. But I say, hey, with Kylie, she's a six-year-old girl. I, I see that you love to do art and to draw. And she makes me all these little books. And she's learning how to write. So she write, writes all these, mommy and daddy at the beach. You know, and she writes all these things. And so I realize that I, I have a personal way of loving her individually that's different from my son. That we sit down and we draw together and we write. And she explains to me all, everything that's going on in your little first grade class. And with my son... He just likes to break stuff, you know? He's like, where's something I can throw, you know, and something I can just hack up with? And so I have to love him in a totally different way. But I know him, and individually, we sit down, and our deal is, okay, let's grab a ball, let's throw it, let's try not to break anything. And he's all about swords and arrows and sticks and all that. And, you know, my, my daughter's over here drawing and doing her thing. And it's like... I, I have to know as a father how to love my kids individually and meet their needs. And God is saying, I'm that kind of a God and I'm that kind of a father now to you. You're all in the family and you're all different, but I'm a God that knows you individually. I know, I know exactly what it is you like to do. I know that for, for one guy over here, oh, you got a little bit out of line. I need to come along and, and lovingly put you back in and suddenly, you know, subtly show you the way to get back on track. And for some of us over here, we need the smack, you know. He knows, he knows his kids, and he knows that we're all different, but we all call him father, and he's just like that perfect example of a dad that knows us individually and knows how to meet our needs and be there for us. So we all call him, he's our one God, he's our one father. But the other thing it says that God is in all things, and he's through all things, I like to think of it like this. If, if you guys look at your life and you try to prioritize things, and you make a priority list of the things in life, how many of you guys try to put God as number one? Hopefully all of us, right? We go, God, you're number one priority. But this is what I heard said recently, is that God isn't even a priority in our life. Because if God is in all, and he's through all, and he's above all, there's no priority list to put God on because he's above the list. That we shouldn't say, God, you're here, and then comes family and surfing and this and that. But God does... Because it doesn't even fit on the list because he's above the list. He's already there. He's already in us in everything that we do. So I don't separate time of like, well, God, I'm, I'm not at church today because I choose to take my time off and I'm, I'm going surfing with the boys. Well, God's going, yeah, and I'm in that too. I'm in your surfing. I'm there with you. Oh, so I better watch how I live, yeah? And, and how I surf and what I talk about. And God's going, yeah, that's, you're getting the picture now. Well, God, here's my family time. I really got to focus on my family. God's going, I'm there too. I created that family. I'm in the midst of that family. Oh, well, when I'm watching TV, I can just veg out and watch a show. God's going, yeah, I'm there too. Careful what you watch. When you're on the internet, watch out, because I'm watching, you know? He's the ultimate spyware or whatever. He's, he's watching us. He knows what's going on. And so God's, God's not on the priority list. He's above the priority list. He's in all things. He's always there with us. And that we don't, we don't try to, like, list him in certain places. Um, I heard it, a question asked, um, someone reminded me, a, a question that was asked of Jerry Cook, you know, the, the guy that comes and speaks with us. 
And someone asked him, oh, Jerry, you're, you're a holy guy. You're this great guy. How much, how much time a day do you spend in devotions? An hour, two hours? How much time do you spend with God? He goes, I, I, don't, I don't have daily devotions. They're like, what? He goes, I, I try to live a life of devotion. So there's time I set apart for just me and God focused reading and praying. But still, the rest of the hours of the day, I'm still living a life of devotion to God. That I live for God, that he lives for me. That he's in me always. He's there with me all the time. He's above all. He works through me. That he's always there. That we shouldn't think that, oh, I woke up too late this morning. I missed devotions. I'm not going to have time to hang with God. Well, what are you doing for the rest of the day? As you're driving to work, as you're sitting there getting your cup of coffee, as you're sitting on the computer, as you're talking to people, God is right there. You have that time to say, well, God, I missed my set-aside little time of reading and praying, but I can talk to you. I can pray continually all day long and talk to you. And I can squeeze in a little verse here and there in between lunch break or something like that. It's that you live a life of devotion, that God is above all and he's in all and he's through all. 